Welcome to Liquid Church Audio. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. LiquidChurch.com, living water for a thirsty world. I want to welcome you all. Happy New Year's, everybody. Glad that you are here. Welcome to all of you who are here at our Morristown campus in New Brunswick. Can we hear it for New Brunswick? Awesome to have you guys with us. Phenomenal to have you. New campus in the new year, very, very exciting. Uh, I want to give actually a special welcome to all of you who are watching or listening online on our brand new internet campus at liquidchurch.com. Can we welcome you? You guys tuned in. Very exciting. Our internet campus went live today at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. So live worship, you can participate as I'm up here talking. You can chat with people from around the world. But whether you're participating in this service uh, at a campus in Morristown or New, or New Brunswick, we're just thrilled that you're here. And uh, I'm Pastor Tim, and this is week one of our new series, Identity Theft, in which we is, it's really a perfect way to start the new year. Um, while identity theft is a modern crime, it has been going on for a long time. And uh, you and I know it's what happens when someone like steals our credit cards or like our, our social security number and they kind of jack our identity. They pose as you, right? They, they pretend like, I am a pastor with big hair or they they, they kind of like it it can do some serious damage though to your bank account or your credit or your reputation and uh here's the deal though there is a kind of identity theft that is way more insidious than credit card fraud that is when our spiritual identity gets jacked we become diminished versions of who god created us to be who did god create us to be i mean it's the new year. The question is like, you know, do you know who you are? Because, or at least who you want to be this year? If one thing is for certain, the vast majority of us are not satisfied with who we currently are. Um, that's why so many of us make New Year's resolutions around this time. Show of hands. How many of you made at least one New Year's resolution this year? Raise your hand. All of our campuses, raise your hand. I see the majority of hands here. Quit smoking, you know, get in shape or get out of debt. The most common ones, obviously, are physical. People are like, well, I'm going to lose, you know, 10 pounds this year. Or some of them actually are financial. Maybe you cut up your credit cards. Or maybe you're like, this is the year I live by a budget. Maybe you made a resolution about uh, relationships. Like, this is the year I'm going to get in one. Or, uh, or out of one. I don't know how that's going for you. Uh, or if I'm in one, I'm going to make it better. I'm going to invest in my marriage this year. Or, 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 or I'm going I'm to step up and start dating again. I'm going to find a man or, or whatever it is. Or maybe you made a spiritual resolution. Actually, you're fulfilling it right now. You're like, I'm going to take a step back. I'm going to go to church once this year. Awesome. God, we are so glad you're here. Great for you taking that step. That is actually a brave step, and you are actually in a very safe place. No hard sell. We're just thrilled you're here, and we can serve you like this. But everyone makes resolutions. You know that. Here's the sad part. The sad part is few, if any, make any long-term difference after a few weeks. Same show of hands. Those of you who made resolutions, how many of you have already broken one? Show of hands. How many of you have already, it's already gone by the wayside just after a couple of weeks. I came across a New York Times article with a great title. I love this. New Year, New You, Nice Try. <laughs> and it's interesting because it said, research shows that about 80% of people who make resolutions on January 1st fall off the wagon by Valentine's Day. And they kind of pointed over to Oprah, who lost about 80 pounds, only to kind of like put it all back on. And they're like, the reality is, there's, this is the quote from it, most of us think we can change our lives through sheer willpower if we try even harder this time around. But it's exceptionally hard to make life changes, and even our greatest efforts are doomed to failure when we try to do it on our own. 
What's interesting is this. The vast majority of people, I love this, the vast majority of people who make resolutions are under the age of 30 years old. But they said after the age of 30, resolutions dramatically decline. By age 45, only 10% of people make any promises to change. And after about 58 years of age, no one attempts anything. (laughs) And and it's like, why was that? And the researchers were like, because after failing again and again and again, people come to, to a very obvious conclusion. I guess this is just the way I am. Yeah, I can't change. I've always been this way. I'll always be this way. It's just who I am. It's my identity. And I want to suggest to you that lie, this is just the way I am. I can't change, is devastating to our spirituality. Because although it kind of sounds, you know, honest and humble, like, oh, it's just the way I The truth is, saying, not only am I powerless, doomed to repeat the past, but so is God. I want you to think about this. The God who created and made me and knit me together in my mother's womb is powerless to change me. My needs are bigger than he is. The reality is this, folks. The majority of us, we walk around. If we don't say it, we walk around thinking it. Not even God could change who I am, the man or the woman, behind the mask. That's a heavy way to go through life. Especially if you've known failure. I mean, repeated failure. I mean, think back on this past year. What are the moments you would like to forget over, the, over 2008? The stuff that kind of makes you wince. Uh, maybe you failed financially. Maybe your, you, 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 your business went bankrupt or, or you lost your job. Maybe, maybe an addiction crept back into your life. You've been sober or, or clean, but over the holidays, you, you know, kind of started again. Life has a way of defining us by our greatest failures. Behind each of these masks is a story. Addiction, abuse, loneliness, divorce, sexual failure, workaholism. None of us are perfect. And you're in a great place because we say no perfect people allowed at Liquid. We all have things we're not proud of, but here's the deal. We'd like to change them if we could. Maybe a relationship ended for you this year. Again. That was actually the story of of a young woman Jesus encountered. Actually, during his travels here on earth, he ran into a woman who who tasted a repeated failure. She had a string of broken relationships and little hope for any successful new one. And undoubtedly, she'd made vows or resolutions to change, to, to be somebody different. But somewhere along the way, she believed the lie, this is just the way I am. I, 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 I can't change. And nobody wants to see what's underneath this mask. Because if they did, they'd run for the hills. The reality is her identity got jacked big time. Her story is fascinating. I want to invite you to turn with me to John chapter 4. Turn where with me. We've got Bibles for all of our campuses to follow along together. It's on page 738. If you're participating on our online campus there and you don't have a Bible, just let us know. We'll be happy to send you one. But John 4, what we're going to do is as you're turning there, during this series, we're going to look at these different people whom Jesus encountered who had their spiritual identity stolen. They were people who believed that what they'd done defined who they were. And again, you might be surprised that identity theft 
has been happening for a long time. In fact, I would suggest that there are people in this room, or maybe you're watching or listening online, you may not even be fully aware of it at this moment, but there is a thief who's been chipping away at your identity over and over this past year, keeping you actually chained to the past, kind of paralyzed in the present. John 4 Let's take a look at this. Let's start actually at verse 4, which says this. It says, Now Jesus had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about the what? The sixth hour. We'll learn why that's significant in just a minute. It says, When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. And this is kind of interesting because this is Jesus claiming to be the Son of God. He, he enters humanity and he's walking along and he ends up at this well and there's this woman there and she's like, how about a drink? Actually, he says, how about a drink? Which is kind of amazing. The God who created the ocean saying, could I have a drink? And the Samaritan woman said to him, look at this, this is verse nine, go back. It says, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews Don't associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you what? Let's say it together. Living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and this well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, and also his sons and his flocks and his herds? And Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And so the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw. Verse 16, he told her, Go, call your husband and, uh, and come back. I, I, have, uh, I don't have a husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, oh, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've actually had five husbands. And the man you have now is not your husband. What you've said is, is quite true. Holy, awkward moment. Let's just stop there and just acknowledge how awkward this is. I mean, this is... For, this is scandalous that Jesus was even speaking with her because the reality is in first century culture, you heard she said she was a Samaritan, which is simply, it was a mixed race. They were considered half-breeds and they were hated by Jewish people. It's kind of like you see the Palestinian-Jewish conflict. We hate the Palestinians. There's this like, blood feud that's been going on for hundreds and thousands of years. She was a woman and in a patri- patriarchal culture where it was like very socially low position, no Jewish man would ever approach a single woman who's all alone in, the, in, the, in this environment, and she's a five-time failure. Swing and a miss. And that's why he says in verse 16, he's like, go get your husband. She's like, uh, no, I don't really have, yeah, I know, you've had five. And the guy you're shacking up with now isn't even your husband, right? Is that your story? How's that going? fact is, even though it's awkward, Jesus steps over all of these barriers, race, social position, moral failure, and it was unprecedented that he would talk with her, but this is amazing. He has this weird conversation with her about water, and you notice they kind of like miss each other, now like men and women kind of like miss each other, and he's like, hey, how about a drink? And, and she's like, uh, well, you don't have a, have a bucket, and he's like, no, I'm not talking about water, I'm talking about water, and she's like, okay. Here's the water. No, I'm talking about water. 
oh, all right, um, do you want water? It got, gets like really weird here because she assumes Jesus is talking about physical thirst. And he's like, no, I notice you keep going to the same well over and over again in your life. And it looks like almost you have a hole in your bucket. And she's like, are you talking about water? <laughs> no, go call your husband. Oh, I'm talking about a different kind of thirst. One deep inside you that keeps bringing you back to the well of men over and over and over again. And even though you've come up empty five times in a row, this is your sixth time around. And she's like, whoa, that, that... Jesus is artfully bringing up the deeper truth in our life, is that sometimes the greatest pains and failures in our life are often a physical symptom of a deeper spiritual need. That, that, to me, that truth is kind of lost on our generation. See, we tend to make like the sharp distinction between like the spiritual and the, and the physical. Like, well, I've got my physical life and world. That's the stuff that goes on in like everyday life. I mean, some of it's good. That's like, like my relationships that work. I got a new job and there's like bad stuff, those that don't, or we broke up again. There's the stuff of my physical life and then there's the spiritual life. That's when I go to church. Like the God stuff is over here. That's what we're doing right now. This is spiritual stuff. And Jesus is like, no, 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 not at all. So much of what goes on in our real-world physical lives, at work, at school, of relationships, have profound spiritual meaning, Jesus is saying. That's why he says in verse 10, he says, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. He's like, do you know who I am? If you did, you'd realize I'm talking about a much deeper spiritual need. Because you are thirsty at the deepest levels of who you are. I see it. Whether you're aware of it or not. And sometimes, failure in our life has a way of exposing that deeper need, doesn't it? I saw it in my own life. Time to get honest for a moment. I got on the scale after New Year's uh, Eve, and I was a little bit depressed. I'm not a guy who's into all that kind of stuff. I don't really work out. I was on a diet the past year. Seafood diet. You see food, you eat it. But I'm done. You know that one. And it was amazing. I got on the scale and my wife was just like, I, and Colleen's always, you know, she doesn't care about stuff. And so and I was like, holy smokes. And she was like, what? Well, you know, there's more of you to love. You know, I was like, what the? I gained over 2008, I gained 14 pounds. That's, that's amazing, right? That's, I know. Can you see it? It's all up here in my chest. Not really. Uh, the rea- here it is. Here it is. Look at this. Okay. And I'm like, what happened? And quite honestly, that's the moment where you make the resolution, oh, I've got to get in shape. I've got to go back to the gym. That's why gym you know, membership's sore. That's not what happened. See, over this past year, our church grew. It exploded. It moved from 400 to 800 to 1,000 to 1,200, and now we're launching another campus. And guess what? I got pretty stressed along the way. And when I get stressed, guess where I go? Past the ringdings. <laughs> I literally, when I get stressed out, I begin eating. And I begin eating like a madman. Late at night, I have, you know, two meals. I go to my nachos. It's like, God, please comfort me and please pass the devil dogs. That's what this is. It's a stressful weight gain. And that's the reality of it. And as I began thinking about it and kind of even praying about it, I was like, that's pathetic. Think about this. I use food as a substitute for a deeper emotional need. I use food as a substitute for God. That's, 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 what this, that's what this is. I mean, maybe you go 
in a different direction. Maybe you have an eating disorder. Maybe, maybe you're an obsessive workout person, okay? Join my gang. It's a lot easier. Um, why? Because, because, I'm, because if I can control my appearance, then maybe I'll be accepted. Then maybe I'll be worth a second glance. According to Jesus, he's like, there's a deep connection between the physical aspects of our lives and the spiritual identity of who we are at our core. And sometimes failures are simply a physical symptom of a deeper spiritual need. That's why G.K. Chesterton famously wrote, I love this quote, he says, every man who knocks on the door of a brothel is looking for God. And you're like, what? I don't, you don't get it at first glance. He's like, yeah, every man who goes searching for a prostitute or illicit sex, he's actually looking for God. And you're like, no, I think he's just, why? You get what he's saying? Sexual brokenness is about way more than sex. At its core, it is driven by a, by, by a sense of loneliness and the search for intimacy at the deepest levels of your soul, not just your loins. Imagine that. Most of us assume we have a physical body, and somewhere inside this thing is this little thing called a soul that we deal with on Sunday. But C.S. Lewis actually put it this way. He said, you don't have a soul. You what? Are a soul. You have a body. The Bible suggests that we are first and foremost spiritual beings. We are made by God and we are made for God until we begin orienting our minds around that eternal truth. Life will never make sense. Something is missing. There's a hole in the bucket. That's why we keep going back to the same well over and over and over again. Jesus answered her in verse 13. He says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will what will never thirst. And that's why she says, well, sir, give me the water so, 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 so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here. Do you know she like still doesn't get it? Do you see that? Obviously, Jesus is talking not about her physical thirst. He's like, I, I'm, I'm not here to give you a Poland spring. <laughs> he's here. I, he's like, I have come to unmask the endless hole in the deepest pain of your past and tell you who you are. And so he says, Go call your husband and come back. Well, I, 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 I don't have a husband. Yeah, you're right when you say you have no husband. I know. You've been through five. You've been knocking them back, and now you're on your six. The fact is you have had five husbands. How's that working out for you? What you've said is quite true. And, and honestly, I love that Jesus has no judgment for her because Imagine she was condemning herself enough for that. I mean, what was that like to be a five-time failure? What if that's what your mask said? Five-time failure. We don't know, but I mean, what, what, what were the stories behind that? I mean, maybe for, for her. I mean, maybe, maybe she got married early on. She was a shotgun bride. Maybe she met a cute guy in college or something and, 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 and got pregnant, and they got married really early. You know how people sometimes do that? They'll get married early, and then, and then of course, it dissolves within, you know, a few months because the stresses and the pressures and the sex doesn't keep up, all that stuff. And, and then she's like, you know, I'm, I'm only in my 20s, and I'm divorced already. And, and, and so, but she's, now she's got a couple of kids, so she started looking, and, and she finally found, um, finally found Mr. Wright. Let's, let's call him Troy. Let's say his name was Troy. And Troy was all smiles and, and roses and a good guy, but the problem was is that when the stress started with Troy, stress, Troy actually has a kind of a little bit of an anger problem. And you don't talk to me, you don't talk to me that way. Don't talk to me that way. You disrespect me. 
And so she bailed on that abusive relationship when the hitting got too much and, and moved on and found, and found this guy who, who wasn't much of a looker, but he was kind of damaged goods himself, didn't, didn't really have a job, and they didn't even bother with a wedding. <laughs> they, they just, they just you know, moved in together, shacked up, kind of common law thing. But the minute the sex got stale, he was gone because he's like, I'm bailing, I'm feeling too confined. And so finally, when she met this guy, it was very unlikely because he was older. But you can look at his smile. He's well-to-do, and he dresses nice, and he calls me sweetheart. And he's like the father I didn't have. And, 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 and that was good, but then he got ill. And actually, she was the one who ran this time, number five. And by the time she got to number, number six, back here, she lost any discernment. He was just a guy that... She met, she married a drunk because she figured, what the heck, I'm damaged goods already. And it was a train wreck from the start. And by the time she met Jesus at the well, that was who she was. And then this, this man at the well, he doesn't, she doesn't know who he is. He doesn't, and he asked her for a drink. Probably thought it was just another guy hitting on her, you know. But he slowly begins raising the deeper relational history of her past, and she realizes he's different. He knows something. You know, something about me. Go call your husband and come back. And then I, I have no, yeah, I know. You've been through half a dozen. You've been knocking them down like cardboard. I just have one question. How is this working for you? Is this working for you? Is this who you really are? Or is it possible, just possible, that you're drinking from the wrong well? Jesus knew that she had a deeper spiritual need that no man could ever fill. There was a hole in her bucket that cycled, that fueled the cycle of random hookups and serial relationships. And, and Jesus, he unmasked the truth of who she really is. I mean, can you imagine that? One day, you meet God in the flesh, face to face, and he puts a finger on your greatest failure and source of shame in your life. I mean, just honest moment. What was, what was your greatest failure this past year? Just honest moment. Think about it. What are the things in your past that when you think about them, they tend to paralyze you? Because you think if anyone knew about this, they'd run for the hills screaming. Mike Bro writes, maybe it was a DUI, a failed marriage, or a, or a financial collapse. Maybe you, maybe you flunked out of school or you had a sexual experience you'd rather forget, actually. Or you got, maybe you got fired from your job. Maybe, maybe your past includes an affair or an abortion or an addiction. Maybe for a long time you were inmate number 37842 and you spent 10 years introducing yourself as, Hi, my name is Tim and I'm actually an alcoholic. Maybe... Maybe that's your identity. Maybe, maybe you weren't only the victim of abuse. Maybe you grew up to be the abuser. Maybe you are now. Maybe, maybe I don't know, what are the stories? Maybe you're hooked on pornography or, or gambling. or No matter what, what happened back then still defines who you are today. In fact, maybe it has become who you are. Like a pickpocket, the past can sneak up behind you reach into your soul, and literally steal your identity. How do I know? 
because I asked the master thief. I'm here today with the Prince of Darkness. And I want to thank you for being with us, uh, Satan. Can we get the Lord of the Underworld something to drink? Uh, perhaps a hot drink? Oh, thank you so much. The, uh... Good to be with you, Pastor Tim. <laughs> now, um, Lucifer, what, what? I don't know exactly what title you like to go by. The Bible has a number of names for you. Father of Lies, <laughs> Enemy of Our Soul, The Thief, The Accuser. Oh, The Accuser, yes, The Accuser. One of my favorites. <laughs> so what are some of the ways that you accuse God's people? Oh, well, you know, it's very easy. It's not like I use a megaphone. I just sort of whisper. You're a loser. You're an addict. You're such a perv. You know what you really are. You're so unlovable. You're so stupid. You know, that sort of thing. That's that's pretty harsh. I mean, that's that's cruel. Yes, but it works. <laughs> you see, the moment people want to change, I just sort of get in there and I start to whisper at them, you can't just look at your past. <laughs> uh, do you encounter a lot of people trying to make changes in their lives? <laughs> Please, around New Year's, everyone's making resolutions. This is the year I'll save my marriage. This is the year I'll control my appetite. More, please. To the top. Thank you. Um, where, where was I? Um, ah, yes. And so what I do is I just play that old rewind button and play it over again, back and forth, back and forth. You're such a loser. And the moment somebody tries to break free, I just remind them that what you've done is who you are. But that's a lie. That's that's not true. That's an that's a lie. <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> but it works. <laughs> actually, I remember somebody. He was actually in your church just last year. He committed adultery, cheated on his wife. The kids were all crying. Boo hoo. Oh, you know, huge collateral damage. <sighs> It was delicious. <laughs> but wouldn't you know it? He actually came clean. He confessed to God, confessed to his wife. You know, that whole thing. But I've got him pinned down. <laughs> you know what you are. You're an adulterer. A big scarlet A on your chest for life. You're a failure. <laughs> failure as a husband, failure as a father, the whole bit. What you did is unforgivable. The same old story. Uh, whatever this is, it just doesn't matter. I just sprinkle in a little guilt and shame, little junks in their trunks, you know. Keeps them quiet really quick. <laughs> but that's cruel. <laughs> But it's so easy. Shame is the easiest way to steal a person's identity. You know, after that, it's all paperwork. <laughs> what is the angel's food tank? <laughs> but the Bible says there's no condemnation for those who are actually in Christ Jesus. Now, don't bring him into this. Come on now. Who, Jesus? Don't say the J word. I'm just saying that Jesus came to give people a new identity, a, a second chance to be restored and forgiven. 
No, 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 don't go into that whole forgiven stuff. The minute that people understand that they're accepted as is could be a very dangerous thing. Just don't, don't, don't even go there. I, I'm just saying Jesus says that he's willing to Jesus, forgive. Jesus, stop it, would you? Just, you know, we don't need to talk about that. All I'm saying is that Jesus... That's it! This interview's over! But I... You... Satan, you forgot your pitchfork. Fork you, Pastor Ted! He knows how to push our buttons, doesn't he? (laughs) I mean, some of us, we've been playing those tapes of our greatest failure for years. We push the play button over and over and over, and it keeps us kind of stuck in the past making us paralyzed in the present. It keeps us from living in the freedom that Christ offers because I'm this guy. I'm not the man or the woman God created me to be, whatever that is. My question is this. What's your well of shame? If you've been carrying around something for some time, yeah, Jesus came to meet you here. That's why you're here. It is no mistake You are here today in the new year at this moment because you don't have to be paralyzed by the past. You don't have to be defined by your greatest failure. and You don't have to say, I guess that's just who I am. Whatever you've done, you don't have to keep drawing water from the same stupid well over and over and over again. Why? It's a little detail in verse 6. I told you I'd come back to it. It reveals something about this girl. It says, when she came to the well, it was about the... Can you look at the time? It says what? The sixth hour. Does anyone know what the sixth hour is, actually, in Middle Eastern culture? You know? Yeah, 12 noon. 12, the hottest part of the day. Women traditionally came to draw water twice a day, early in the morning and at dusk in the evening. Why? Because the last time you'd go out there is 12 noon. That's when the sun is at its peak. This is the Middle East. It's a scorching sun, hottest part of the day. So why would she go out in public to draw water then? Answer, because she wanted to avoid people at all costs. The stares, the judgments, the whispers, I already have enough inside, and I don't need any more. And she was literally shackled by shame for her past. And when Jesus raises the issue of her five failed relationships and her current shack up, notice what she does. Back to the text. She tries to change the topic. Take a look at this. Look at verse 19. It says, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. She's like, are you psychic? Um, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. In other words, when the conversation hits a little bit too close to home, she starts talking religion. Because religion is a great smokescreen sometimes if you don't want to go near the reality of who you really are. It really is. I mean, maybe a lot of people hiding in churches. A million people sitting out in the pews today just hiding. And the reality is Jesus doesn't bite. (laughs) Instead, he challenges her in verse 21. Look at it. He says, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. He says, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. You don't know who I am. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. And look at this, verse 23, all of our campuses, he says, Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in what? Let's say the phrase together, in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. And then he says in verse 24, And God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. This is a key phrase here, permission granted to circle it in your Bible, in spirit and truth. 
The Greek word for spirit is pneuma. Pneuma, pneumatic tires, air, spirit. He's talking about the immaterial part of our inner person, literally your soul. And then he says, in your soul and in, in truth, the Greek word is altea, truthfulness, that which corresponds to reality. In other words, when Jesus says God's looking for people who will engage him in spirit and in truth, he literally means God's after the kind of people who will come to him with the truthfulness of their soul. Total honesty about who they really are. That's what worship is about. They aren't hiding anything. There's no deceptions. There's no secrets. But just a brave and brutal honesty about what they've done and what it's done to them. And that's why they need him at the deepest places of their soul. Imagine that was you. I mean, if you had to respond to God with a, with a truthfulness of the soul and spirit and truth, what would you tell him? What, 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 what hidden part of you have you kept carefully concealed or over in this little box over here that nobody, nobody can see? Each of us has stuff we're carrying around, total honest. I mean, we keep hidden, concealed, and you know what? You can do that for a while, but after a while, it gets pretty toxic to keep all that hidden. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to invite you to take a brave step today. Here in the anonymity of our campuses or on the internet campus, in a single word or phrase, with a truthfulness of the soul, would you write on the back of your black strip, you have one right now in your bulletin, open it up, pull those out, you see that thing? What your deepest failure was this past year. What is it? Just a word or phrase, no one's, no one's looking, no, no, no side glances, this is just you and God, truthfulness of the soul and spirit and truth. Honestly, this is the thing. Maybe it's just a word or a phrase. Maybe you're writing down the abortion. Maybe it's the affair. The divorce. Maybe it's the 15 pounds. It's not that I didn't go to the gym. It's that in 2008, I chose food over God to deal with my stress. That's an embarrassing thing to confess as a pastor. Choosing ringdings over the creator of the universe. No specifics, no names, just the truthfulness of the soul. Take a moment. All of our campuses, just write it down. You're the only one who's going to see this. Just write it down on your black card. I imagine it was very hard for this woman to take off the mask for Jesus because she must have been asking a very easy question. Why trust this guy? (laughs) Why is he any different than any other guy, the other five men who promised never leave me or forsake me? Till death do us part, whatever. Verse 25 shows that her uncertainty. She says this, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will explain what? Everything to us. In other words, even as a Samaritan, she was familiar with the Jewish prophecy that one day God himself would come down literally from heaven to redeem his people. That is to give them a second chance and rescue them. And suddenly, Jesus takes off his identity and reveals who he is. He says, I who speak to you am he. In other words, Jesus says, woman, girl, my daughter, I am not a spiritual guru. I am not a relationship advice giver. I'm not here to give you self-help tips for landing the man of your dreams. 
I am the man of your dreams. I am your Savior who loves you, who accepts you as you are, and I will die for you to prove it. That's who I am. See, when Jesus came to this earth, he, he, he took off the mask, and the reason is this. He came for broken people, people like you, people like me, people like her. Maybe you identify with parts of her story. Maybe, maybe you identify deeply. Maybe you actually identify with one of the guys in her story. Maybe, maybe you're the man behind the mask who actually inflicted some serious damage to the wreckage. Maybe you're carrying around some shame of your own today. You've got a pretty deep bucket. Maybe it's an eating disorder. Maybe it's moral failure. Maybe it's abuse, perfection, loneliness, porn, you name it, a broken marriage. Jesus says, until we come clean about what's behind the mask, we'll never be free until we trust him enough that he is the son of God that the Father sent to take every one of our failures upon himself and die in our place. And until we come clean with it, we'll never be free. Pickpocketed by the past, buried alive in shame, and limping along in life with a good smile on our best days. Jesus died, folks, so that we could be raised to new life and given a second chance. That's who Christ is. That's what Christianity is about. I don't know what you've heard Christianity is about, but it is not about saying, well, God, please accept me because I'm trying my hardest and I think I'm good enough and I've lived almost perfect. No, it's the opposite. That's what the world makes it. That's religion, man-made. True Christianity says, I've never been good enough to keep the rules and that's why I need you, Jesus. I can't do it myself. We can never live a perfect life, and that's why Jesus did it for us. We can never atone for the past. That's what Jesus did in our place on the cross. We can't change, no matter how hard we try or how many resolutions we make on our own by sheer willpower. We need spiritual power, which is why Jesus said, let my spirit change you. You don't have a soul. You are a soul. You have a body. Look what's happened to you. I have come to redeem this part of you. So take off the mask. I'm here for you. New life. Life to the full. Not with a hole in the bucket. Trust who I am. And, and we're told that when we put our trust in Jesus, it's actually like hitting the control alt delete button on, on your soul. And literally we become a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5 puts it this way. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a, what's the phrase? Let's read it together. A new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the what? The righteousness of God. In other words, we're told that when Jesus died in our place, he took all of our sin, all of our shame, on himself and nailed it to the cross forever. In our place, an exchange was made and he gave us his righteousness. In other words, what God now sees behind his mask, when we come clean with Jesus, we become literally a son and daughter of God, fully forgiven, passed over, new life ahead. That I can't make this any clearer for you. It is called grace. It is God's extravagant gift. You can't earn it. He forgives you and he adopts you into his family through trust in his son Jesus. And you don't ever have to be alone again. 
Because the record of your past is destroyed. Your debts are literally canceled no matter what you've done, where you've been. This isn't who you are anymore. If anyone is in Christ Jesus, he or she is what? Let's say it together. A new creation. In his book, Identity Theft, Reclaiming Who God Created You to Be, Mike Bro says, he says, shame has met its match in God's grace. <laughs> if shame tells you you're defective, grace counters that you're valuable, infinitely valuable. Where shame's greatest weapon is the fear of judgment, that's what keeps us hidden. Grace says, no, you are radically loved in your brokenness. Take off the mask. Shame says, no, because you're flawed, you're unacceptable. Go out at noon where no one can see you. Grace says, no, even though you're flawed, you are priceless. And I'm going to put you back together. I have many things in my life I'd want to do over that make me want to hide. But grace says you don't have to have a do-over. You don't have to go back to the past. I can set you free now. Shame is the language of the thief, and grace is the language of God, of Jesus. My question for you is what would it be like to know at the deepest places of your soul today that your greatest failure is no longer the verdict on you? What would that be like? That you don't actually have to hide anymore. That this, the girl at the well (laughs) with a hole in the bucket, you know what she did? She actually believed him. Verse 28 says this. Leaving her what? Her water jar. The woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me, what's the phrase? Everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? What was that like? To come face to face with your creator. Instead of judgment, he is waiting to embrace you. What? Not for anything we've done, but because of what Christ has done for us. He knows everything you ever did. I've heard a good definition of confession is telling God what he already knows about us. Hold up your card. All of our campuses, can everyone hold up their black card? Just the black is facing out. No one's going to read it. Hold it up. He knows about the affair. He knows about the abortion. He knows about the abuse. He knows about the addiction. He's seen your browser. He knows, he knows, and he loves you. And he welcomes you, and he can change you. That is the truth of the gospel, and it has changed everything in my life. And you're surrounded by thousands of people who it is changing their life. He has come not to condemn you, but to free you. And he is telling you today, put down the bucket. Stop drinking water from that well, because it's not who you are anymore. Did you know that right now? Maybe that black strip is burning a hole in your hand. That's not who you are. If any man or woman is in Christ, he or she is what? A new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. In the case of this girl, I don't know her name. Let's, 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 let's call her Bella. He changed her identity forever. Instead of five-time failure, that was what was written on her card, he literally gave her an incredible place in God's story. The passage finishes on verse 39. Would you look in your text? It says, many of the Samaritans from that town, what? Believed in him because of why? 
of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. And because of his words, let's say it together, many more became believers. In other words, the town whore became the first evangelist. Do you understand what the power of grace is? He can, she, to, to, she became the evangelist to non-Jews. That means to you, to me, catch this. Jesus used her greatest failure to bring hope and salvation to an entirely new generation. It says in verse 42, they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said, but now we've heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the what? The savior of the world. I want you to think about that. God not only wants to forgive you, he wants to use your greatest failure powerfully in the lives of those around you for outrageous good. That abortion you had, that addiction you're still battling, the affair that's right, this is the year you can be free. And because of what you do here today, your life will be used powerfully in the lives of other people. Because it's not about you. It's about showing off the power of God to break strongholds, to show that Christ has the power to break addictions, to mend marriages, to break cycles of pain and abuse. But first, you have to do a very brave thing and Take off the mask and take Jesus at his word, who he is. He's the son of God. He forgives me. I rep- I, this is who I am. And he says, this is not who you are. Start living in the truth of who you can be in me. If anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. The old is gone. The new has come. So take off the mask and put down your bucket and become who you were created to be. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray right now. And we're just, what we're going to do is we're going to pass around buckets at each of our campuses for you to drop your mask in. And you walk out of here as a way of coming clean, as a way of committing your past to God for cleansing, for healing, for restoration. Some of you, maybe you've been following Christ for a long time, but you've been living out of guilt and shame for a while. You've been drawn from that well, and there's nothing even close to the freedom that Christ came to give you. Drop it in the bucket. Maybe this is the year that he actually takes you to a new level. Or maybe you have never fully believed who Jesus claimed to be, the savior of your soul, not just the, the, your soul. This can be a life-changing moment for you because this is the moment you trust Christ to make you a new creation from the inside out. And you just need to come clean. You talk to God in spirit and truth, a truthfulness of the soul, as Jesus put it. And you take your guilt, and you take your shame, and you take your past, and you just get honest with God. No matter how far you've strayed or how dark your life has become, it doesn't matter. You come clean and let God's grace sweep away your shame and restore your soul and reclaim your identity. Let's bow our heads. Let's just right now, everyone bow their heads, please. I just want to give you a chance to do that. If that is you, you simply pray this prayer. You say, Jesus, I've been drawing from the wrong well. But I want living water. I want you. Thank you for coming for me. If that is you, first time you pray that in your heart, you say that to God, you literally say, you can say it out loud, you can say it under your breath, say it in your heart, you say, I believe you came for me, you died for me, for my sins, forgive me. But I believe you were raised to new life, and I want a new life. Make me a new creation. Cleanse me at the deepest soul level, and give me a new life. I take this moment right now, I follow you with all of my heart. 
If that is you, just keep your heads bowed. If that is you, just shoot your hand up real quick. This is your moment. This is you saying that. You're putting a marker in there. You're sticking up your hand over there. You're, you're, you're just putting, shoot it up real quick. No one else is looking. I see that. Awesome. Praise God for you. You are in a new family. That is amazing. If you're on the internet, let us know. Write it right there in the, the notes section. Let us know. Would you open your eyes? Can we welcome people into new life? You are in the family of God. No man has saved you. That's Jesus who has saved you. And these buckets are going to come around right now and you drop your mask in it. Here's the deal. By the way, if you prayed that prayer, maybe this was your first time. This is the first time you are inviting Jesus into your life. Would you do something different with yours? Instead of just dropping yours in there, would you rip it in half? Rip it in half. I want you to take part. I want you never to forget this moment. You take that part. This is a moment I received a new identity and you drop the other part in here. But this is the day you were made free by God, by God, and you became who you were created to be. Our ushers are going to come around at this time, and they're going to pass those buckets. So everybody just drop your mask in that bucket and respond in God to worship. We're going to worship in spirit and truth. Let's pray right now, okay, all of our campuses. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for loving us, Jesus. Thank you for promising to change us from the inside out, even when we feel helpless and powerless to undo the past. Thanks that we're not alone. Thank you for grace that is greater than all of our shame and sending Jesus to live the life we could never live. Die the death we deserve so that we could be restored and staked to a new identity as a dearly loved child of God. I ask right now, Father, all of our campuses online, would you fill each man and woman who puts their their card in the bucket, fill them now new with your Holy Spirit, Father. Renew us, redeem us, exchange our old identities for new ones and change us more and more this week into the image of your Son, Jesus the Christ. We love him. And we love you, and we worship you now in spirit and in truth. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray, and all God's people said together, Amen.